Thank you for joining us tonight. We are here in the auditorium at Victory Baptist Church, and this is the uh, Revelation message that was preached on July 13th, and we had some technical difficulties that night. And so because we're in the series on the book of Revelation, I wanted to go back and I wanted to preach this uh, because if you miss a message along the way, I want you to be able to go back. And uh, this message is from Revelation chapter 2, where we look at the letters to the seven churches which were in Asia Minor. And we're going to start with the church at Ephesus. And what, a, what an incredible church, what an amazing church it was. And uh, there are some powerful, powerful lessons for us to learn uh, as we get into this series. Now, uh, Revelation, of course, we've, we've talked about the introduction. We talked about the title of the book. It is an unveiling. It is a revealing. Uh, we know the theme of the book. I love this. The theme of the book is not the Antichrist. The theme of the book is not the beast and the false prophet. The theme of the book is not the tribulation or uh, the end times or the plagues or the, the judgments. No, no, no. The theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. This book is all about Jesus. Revelation 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. We saw the theme, uh, the title of the author. Uh, John, he calls himself a servant. You know, he was the last living of the apostles. Uh, he was an amazing man. He was a man that had written the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and now the book of Revelation, and he could have had a lot of things to brag about. But he said this, he said, I'm just a servant. And by the way, what a great privilege it is for every one of us to be called a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, what a privilege to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see the target audience is the churches found in Revelation 1 verse 4. We'll talk about those churches. We saw number 5 in uh, chapter 1, the Trinity. Here in Revelation 1, we see God. We see uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity here in Revelation. I love this. And then we see the timing. And I preached a message on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago, if you'll go back and listen to that. But we talked about the importance of the Lord's Day. Uh, what happened on the Lord's Day and the timing of this, it says that, uh, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And oh, that, was a, that was a powerful passage there. And uh, I hope you didn't miss that one. And then we saw the turning. I love this, the turning. John said, I turned uh, because he said there was a voice, verse 12, that spake with me. And when he turned, that's when he got a glimpse of Jesus. And I hope you get a glimpse of Jesus as you study the book of Revelation. Verse number 19, he says after John sees Jesus, not Jesus on the cross, not Jesus in the manger, but Jesus Christ glorified in, in power and in authority, and he saw him in all of his glory. Then it says in verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels. Those are the, the messengers, perhaps even the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. We see now in Revelation 2 and 3, we see the letters to these churches. Now, first of all, I'm glad and I want to remind you that the church is not left alone just to try to survive. 
But the Bible tells us that the church is held in the hand of Jesus. I'm glad that we are in His care. I'm glad we're in His protection. But then it says this. It says that Jesus is walking in the midst of the churches. Now, I'm glad that when we have church, when Jesus Christ is glorified and He's praised and the, the Word of God is preached and the Holy Spirit is at work, I'm glad that Jesus Christ shows up. And by the way, I don't want to be a part of a church where Jesus doesn't show up. But when Jesus shows up, that ought to be a good thing. That ought not be a scary thing. We ought not feel like, oh no, what's He going to see? We ought to be living in such a way that we are not ashamed to know that Jesus Christ is here when we meet. And by the way, He's not just here when we meet, but Jesus Christ, if you're saved, He lives inside of you. The Bible says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. But John is commanded to write the things which he saw and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us as we examine this portion of Scripture tonight. I pray that you'd give us what we need. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the book of Revelation. Thank you for the truths. And thank you that we know the rest of the story. I thank you that we know and we uh, acknowledge the fact that we are on the winning side and we have victory in Jesus Christ. I pray you'd speak to us in these moments that we're together. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get into chapter 2, I want to remind you that John is writing about the things that he saw and then the things which are. At the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, the things which are, that referred to those seven churches. Those were seven actual churches. And then the things which shall be hereafter, that was the future events. That was the end times. Well, I want to remind you today that we should not just focus on the past, although we can learn a lot from the past. We shouldn't just focus on the future, although we ought to be looking forward to what God has in store. But don't miss the importance of today. Don't miss the importance of right now. Sometimes when we look ahead or we look behind and we look at other places and we see what everybody else is doing and we fail to realize the importance of this moment. Can I tell you, this moment that we are living is so important. You know why? Because you can't change the past. Uh, you, you can't go ahead to the future. It's not here yet. But God has given you and I today. We must seize the opportunities that we have right now. Don't waste a moment. Take advantage of the time you have right now in your home. Take advantage of the time you have with your family, uh, with your church, with your ministry. Uh, right now, focus on your prayer life. Right now. You say, well, I used to pray. Good, I'm glad. But let's pray today. Uh, uh, focus on your Bible reading, your walk with God. Focus on your holiness. Focus on your faithfulness. Take inventory today. Where are you today, right now? And don't miss the importance of this moment. We see in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is very interested in the church. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes through these seven churches and He gives a progress report. He, he gives a report card of how these churches are doing. Can I say that we should take note of what is important to Christ in a church? Now, sometimes what's important to us is not always important to Christ and vice versa. 
If you're looking for a church and you say, I'm looking for a church where, you know, it's, it's modern and I'm looking for a church that's hip and I'm looking for a church that's cool and I want a church that's, you know, trendy. Well, those things don't matter to God. What matters to God is the truth and what matters to God is the heart and what matters to God is the people that are in the church. We should know what's important in a church. We should know what's important to Jesus in a church and then we should strive to have and to be that kind of church. As we look at the importance of the church, I think we must go back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us what's important in the local church. By the way, the book of Acts uh, talks about the acts of the apostles and uh, much of the book of Acts follows the ministry of the apostle Paul. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul wrote to seven different churches. Here we see in Revelation, John uh, had letters to those seven churches, but these are different. The only church that's the same from Paul 7 and John 7 is the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul's ministry was from around A.D. 40, I guess it would have been, till about the mid-60s A.D., and John was writing around A.D. 90, so it was many years later. But it's interesting to me that these churches that Paul wrote to and the churches John wrote to, these were different. And I know there were a lot of churches and all that, but you know I can't help but be reminded of the fact that churches change. You, If you've been in church any length of time, you've seen churches that have come and gone. You've seen churches that were once on fire and churches that were once uh, solid on the Word of God and they, maybe they begin to compromise. Or maybe they stop their outreach or maybe they stop their missions or maybe they stop having services or whatever the case may be, but churches change. May God help us not to change from being the church that He has called us to be. The church at Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul, Timothy, uh, was a pastor at that church, and some Bible scholars believe that John, the author of the book of Revelation, actually pastored for a while at the church in Ephesus. We know in the book of Acts that preaching is important to God. The preaching of the Word of God is important, and it must be paramount in the church. We know that prayer is important. The church should be a house of prayer. It ought to be a place where people pray, where people seek the face of God. The church ought to be a place where we are praising God and worshiping God. But the church in the book of Acts was a place where there was persecution. Can I tell you, we know very little about persecution today, but there are places in this world where they are under persecution because they believe the Bible, because they preach the Bible, because they uh, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We see that the early church suffered persecution, but here's what I love. <laughs> they suffered persecution, but that didn't stop them from preaching, and that didn't stop them from praying, and that didn't stop them from praising God. And by the way, when hard times come to our church, let's not stop preaching, let's not stop praying, and let's not stop praising God. We know that those things are important to God. Also, we see in the book of Acts, souls, baptisms, a teaching, church membership. The Bible says that they were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the church. Church membership is important to God. Doctrine is important to God. Fellowship, 
Believers with one another is important to God. Holiness is important to God. And the list goes on and on. We see in the book of Revelation that Jesus holds the church in His hand and He walks in the midst of the church and He gives these churches a grade. He gives these churches an evaluation. And by the way, when Jesus examines a church, He doesn't just see the outside. He doesn't just see what you're wearing. He doesn't just hear what you say. But Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows what we really are, not just on Sundays when we come to church, but He knows what we are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He knows what, you're, what you are at home. He knows what you are when you're all by yourself. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. And Jesus walks through the church and He gives a report and His report is accurate. Jesus' report is without error, and Jesus' report is final. You may get an evaluation at work, and you may be able to uh, ask for a second opinion, or you may ask for a review, or whatever it may be. But when Jesus gives a report, can I tell you that report is final, and it is true. We know that Jesus loved the church. Jesus started the church. Jesus sustains His church. It's His church. And by the way, if Jesus loved the church, I think we ought to love the church. I don't think we should ever do anything to hurt the church. I don't think we should ever do anything to attack the people of God. I think we ought to do all we can to love the church and encourage one another and help one another as we see the day approaching. We see in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 that these messages are to help all the churches. Notice verse number 7 of Revelation 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We see that again in verse 11 and verse 29 and chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 13 and verse 22. These messages are to help all the churches. These messages are to help our church. We ought to take these seven messages and say, hey, what can we learn as a church from these letters in Revelation? These messages also should be heeded by individuals. You say, well, it's a message for the whole church, but what does that have to do with me? Well, notice verse 7. He, that's singular, that hath an ear, let him, that's singular, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to the church, you and I individually ought to be listening. We ought to be paying attention. These churches were facing intense persecution, and in some cases, they had caved to the pressure. By the way, when pressure comes, when trials come, when difficulties come, may God help us to keep our eyes on Jesus May God help us not to cave to the pressure, but may God help us to stand strong on the Word of God, no matter what the attacks may be. Let's look at this church at Ephesus very quickly for a few moments. One, I want you to notice this is the uh, church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a prominent city in Asia Minor. Uh, this was a very influential church. We would say this was a church in a big city. And by the way, there's churches in big cities, there's churches in small cities, there's churches in towns, and there's churches out in the country and all that. But this was a church that was located in a big city, and this was an influential church. As we said, it was started by Paul, pastored by Timothy, and perhaps even by the Apostle John. This church had a great start. 
this church uh, had some great pastors and had some great men that were instrumental in starting that church. I think about for many of you that are, are watching and many of you that are listening, many of you that are uh, in our church now, if I say these names, many of you know these names, if I say the name Gordon Price, uh, many of you remember that name if you've been in this area a long time. Uh, Gordon Price pastored the First Baptist Church uh, here in Roanoke Rapids. That's the, the old building on the avenue where Victory Baptist met for years. That church was pastored by Gordon Price from 1933 to 1966. And I've heard some stories from some in our church, some that are still in our church, and some that have gone on to be with the Lord. I've heard some great stories of how God blessed. God gave the church that pastor. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that God's the one that gives to some pastors. Can I tell you, I hope, you ought to, uh, I hope you're thankful for the pastors that God has given you in your life. Some of you that are listening today, you knew Pastor Rudolph Evans. He pastored the church that was located here, Lakeview Park Baptist Church, from 1964 to 1995, 31 years at this church. And I've heard so many good stories. And by the way, that pastor, to stay in the same place for that long, now that pastor was a gift to this church, to many who were in this church. I think of Pastor Maurice Wheat. Many of you know Pastor Wheat. He pastored the Central Baptist Church here in town for 44 years. Can I tell you, I'm not even 44 years old, but to pastor the same church for 44 years, what an accomplishment. That takes some faithfulness. That pastor was a gift to those people. I think about the pastors that I've had. I think about Pastor Melvin Swanson, uh, who was my pastor in Illinois. He pastored the same church for 58 years. Can I tell you, that pastor, Pastor Swanson, he was a gift to the people of that church. He was a gift to me and to my family. I think about my wife's parents, their pastor growing up or in their early years, adult years and teen years was Pastor Bobby Robertson. He pastored the Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. I believe it was 61 years. It was more than 60, I know. But that pastor was a gift. And can I tell you, as a pastor... I don't ever want to take for granted the opportunity God has given me to stand behind a pulpit and to be a shepherd for God's people. And can I tell you something? You ought to pray for your pastor. You ought to encourage your pastor. You ought to love your pastor. You say, but my pastor's not perfect. Well, good. I'm glad you clarified that. I could have told you that. But can I tell you, the church needs the pastor. And the pastor needs the church. And both the church and the pastor, we all need the Lord. But we see... The church at Ephesus, number one, I see the inspection. We've already talked a little bit about this, but Jesus is going through and Jesus is taking inventory. He says in verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and are found liars. Thou hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. This church at Ephesus, the inspection revealed, this was a busy church. I thank the Lord for a church that's busy. I don't, I don't think as a church we should ever get lazy. I don't think as a church we should ever say, how little can we do for God? And what can we cut? And what can we stop? I think we ought to be busy. And this church was busy. They had many works. The Bible says they had labor. That signifies the fact that they were hard working. 
I'm thankful for Victory Baptist Church. I want to tell you, this is a hard-working church. You watch after a fellowship or you watch after some kind of an event or a function and people are working hard and working together and getting the job done. We have bus workers and nursery workers and junior church and Sunday school and, and soul winners and visitation folks. And we've got people working all the time. The church at Ephesus was a hard-working church. They were patient. That means they persevered. They were faithful. The Bible says that they would not tolerate that which is evil. It says, Thou canst not bear them which are evil. I hope that would be true of our church. I hope that it would be said that we love people and we want people to come to this church, but we're not putting up with a bunch of wickedness. And this isn't a church where people can come and live wickedly and, and live ungodly and can live like the world and they can feel perfectly comfortable in this church through every service because there's never any conviction. Because there's never the Holy Spirit of God speaking and there's never a Bible that is preached to them. I hope it would never be said of our church that that was a church that they just tolerated evil. They didn't really care. They just wanted to fit in with the world. But the church at Ephesus didn't tolerate it. They didn't put up with it. They had discernment. The Bible says they were able to test and to try those who said they were apostles, but they weren't. They were able to have spiritual discernment. Can I tell you, you're not going to have spiritual discernment. And I'm not going to have spiritual discernment unless we know the Bible. Because if someone stands up and says something that is not biblical, we ought to be able to say right away, absolutely not. That's not true, because the Bible says this. And if somebody says something different from the Bible, we're going to stick with the Bible. But we see that they had discernment. Verse 3, they, they, uh, verse number 3, thou hast born, B-O-R-N-E. That word, literally, it's talking about burdens. They had a lot of burdens. They had a lot of trials. They had a lot, of, lot, lot on their shoulders. But they stayed with it. They stayed faithful. They persevered. Again, we see the word patience. And again, talking about faithfulness and perseverance. And boy, they, they didn't have it easy. And no church does have it easy. No Christian does have it easy. We all have trials. But you got to stay faithful in the trial. The Bible says in verse number 3 that they um, labored for my name's sake. They were faithfully serving, not for themselves, but they were serving for Jesus. They were serving for Christ. They were serving for the cause of Jesus Christ. Verse number three, that they did not faint. That means they didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel. They didn't give up. They stayed with it. Notice verse number six. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus says, I also hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans are also found in verses 14 and 15. The Bible tells us the Nicolaitans, uh, they were people that tried to lord over the people in the church. The word Nicolaitan, it literally it means to conquer the laity. The laity is the people. Uh, we get our word, and there's the, uh, the, the brand uh, Nike, which comes from the word uh, uh, in the Greek, which means victory. And here we have Nicolaitan to, to conquer or to have victory over the people. They were trying to put themselves over the people in the church. I want to say this. We should never, ever lord over people. 
Uh, we should never, ever try to put ourselves up and say, well, I'm better than you because my background is this or, or I've got this job or this is my family or this is this. Oh, no, 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 no. We are all, uh, we are all on the same level when it comes to how God sees us. There's no respecter of persons with God. I like what uh, one song says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But these Nicolaitans, they tried to lord over this attitude had crept into the church, just like in Jesus' day, there were the Pharisees. They, they thought they were better than everybody else. And friend, we're not better than anybody else. That's called pride. And God hates pride, and He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We see, number one, the inspection. Number two, quickly, we see the indictment. Verse number four. Although... There were so many things that they had done so well. Verse 4 is the indictment that Jesus gives concerning His church. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. This verse, this is convicting. Because this was not a lazy church. This was not a carnal church. This was not uh, a church that uh, was a has-been or used to be. They were still doing it. But Jesus said this. He said, you have left your first love. Now sometimes we quote that verse and we say that they lost their first love. But that's not what the verse says. When you lose something, it's, it's uh, oh, where, where did it go? But Jesus says you've left it. Leaving something means that you have set it aside. You have intentionally abandoned or you have intentionally placed something in a different spot. And we see that they left their first love. The church at Ephesus were careless. The church at Ephesus was guilty of neglecting their first love. What's the first love? The first love is a fiery love. It's a fervent love. It is a full and complete love for God. The first love would be like the honeymoon love. Jeremiah chapter 2, when the children of Israel, the children of Judah began to backslide, God sent message by uh, way of Jeremiah and He said, what happened? You used to love me. And, I, and you used to, used to care what I thought, but, 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 but something has happened. What is it? Can I tell you, maybe in your life, maybe something has happened. Maybe you're still serving in a class, you're still singing in a choir, you're still busy serving God in ministry, and I'd never know it, and most people in here would never know it, but maybe you know that you have left your first love. Maybe you used to read your Bible. And not did you read your Bible, but you loved it. You couldn't wait to get in the Bible. Maybe you used to pray, and by the way, when you used to pray, maybe you couldn't wait to get to that place of prayer, that prayer closet, or that, that, that living room, or that bedroom, or that kitchen table, or wherever it is that you pray. Maybe you couldn't wait to get to that spot, and you've left it. You've left your first love. Maybe you used to, used to go out soul winning, telling people about Jesus. You couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus for, because of what Jesus did for you. You wanted somebody else to hear the good news. But something happened. I maybe, maybe today I'm talking to some of you that you used to love to come to church. You couldn't wait to get to church. 
You couldn't wait for Sunday morning. You couldn't wait to get here, and you couldn't wait to sing the songs, and you couldn't wait to praise God, and you couldn't wait to be with God's people, and you couldn't wait for the preaching, and you couldn't wait for the invitation. You just wanted to be in God's house because your love was on fire, and your love was real. But something happened. Maybe you've left that first love. Remember when you had a passion for serving God? Remember when you couldn't wait to teach your class? Remember when you couldn't wait to get up in the choir and sing about how good God was? Remember when you couldn't wait to put that tithe or that offering in the plate? Remember when you couldn't wait for revival meetings and you couldn't wait for big days and you couldn't wait just to, 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 to be with God's people? Well, I wonder today what happened. I'm reminded of the story of the man who had the old car that he had an old classic car that he had refinished and it had one of those old bench seats, you know what I'm talking about, with the, in the front, front, front row bench seat. And the husband and wife, they sat so close to each other and over time, they got further and further apart. Until one day, the wife looked over her husband and the husband was there driving and the wife looked over her husband and said, Honey, I don't know what's happened. We used to sit so close and we used to be together and we used to, to love it and now we've drifted apart. And the husband looked back at the wife and he said, well, honey, as he's driving the car, I'm not the one that moved. Can I tell you this? If you have drifted away from Jesus Christ, your Savior, if you're not as close to Him as you used to be, if you don't love Him like you used to, He's not the one that's moved. He is not the one that has gotten away from you. You and I are the ones that have gotten away from Him. Maybe today it's time to get back to Him. Maybe it's time to get back to a Christian life that's not just mechanical and not just routine and not just going through the motions and not just doing it because we're trying to impress people, but doing what we do because we love God and doing it from a heart of love and passion for our Savior. You see, the church at Ephesus, they were busy, but they had lost the blessing. The church at Ephesus had become very formal, but they lost their fire. The church at Ephesus was literally drifting from the devotion that they once had. It says they had it. Jesus said, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. There was a time when they had that first love but they had left it. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, and I don't have time to, to take you through all of these verses, but it's so good. I hope you'll look at it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 4, Ephesians 1, 15, Ephesians 2, 4, Ephesians 4, 2, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, Ephesians 5, 2, 5, 25, 5, 28, 5, 33, 6, 23 through 24. The Bible talks about love. That was the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And here we have probably 20 or 30 years later, they, lost, they left, they got away from, they neglected, they abandoned their first love. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 24, that we should love in sincerity. It ought to be genuine. And I wonder today, is your love for Christ, is it genuine? Is it real? I hope so. Uh, after all that Jesus Christ has done for me, uh, I don't want my love to get cold. 
I don't want my love to become stale. I don't want my love to be past tense. I used to love God. I want to love Him more today than I ever have before. You know the story. The Bible tells us in the Gospels the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Mary and Martha, they were sisters, and they both were wonderful, wonderful ladies. But there was something about Martha. She was busy. She was doing a lot of good things. Jesus said this, Thou art cumbered about with much serving. She was just so busy and she got so burdened with all the serving that she didn't take time to spend it with Jesus. And Jesus said about Mary, He said, Mary hath chosen the needful part. What was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was talking to Jesus and Jesus was talking to her. I believe we need both. We need the time that we spend with Christ, but then we need the time to serve Him. But let me say this, if all you do is serve and you never spend time with Jesus, eventually that serving is going to end. But if you spend time with Jesus and you keep spending time with Jesus, you're going to keep serving. And if you keep spending time with Jesus, you're going to keep serving. And you're not going to uh, uh, burn out. I don't like that term, but you're not going to get to a point of frustration because you're going to be so in love with Jesus that as a result, you can't help but serve Him. Lord, I pray that you'd please take these truths and these thoughts today and this church at Ephesus and this letter that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to get back to our first love. Help us to go back to the place where we left it. Maybe it's in a prayer closet. Maybe it's in a, a church pew. Maybe it's in a Sunday school class. Maybe it's in a choir. Uh, maybe it's as an usher. Maybe it's uh, out soul winning. Maybe it's something else totally different. But Lord, I pray we get back to our first love. And Lord, may we serve you, not because we have to, but help us to serve you because we love you. We thank you that we can love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for your great love that you showed on the cross when you died and paid the price for our sins. God, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Help us to love you more. Help us to get back to that first love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.